Support for today's episode of On Shuffle comes from my bookie. They are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Not to mention, they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code SHUFFLE when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code SHUFFLE when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Oh yes, indeed, we are back again. Welcome. This is another episode of On Shuffle, and I'm your host, Micah Peters, staff writer at The Ringer. And today, we have a very, very special guest, Sid the Kid of the Internet, and also, the boss will be joining me. Bill Simmons is talking about his own Spotify playlists and how there just are no new eras of music, I think. I don't know. We're going to get into it, though. Let's get it. Next guest needs no introduction, but you know, this show sort of necessitates one. So, <laughs> uh, Sid Bennett, known to everyone the internet over as Sid, the front one of the LA bass band, which is also called the internet. Yeah. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Let's just jump straight into it. So, the thing with the Hive Mind record is that it feels like it just sort of happened. <laughs> you know, like everybody was off doing their solo projects. You've described it in past interviews as exploring, not as in each member felt like they needed to do something or they felt like some creative itch wasn't being scratched necessarily, like they were getting better at doing something individually. Yeah, it was a little of both. Mm -hmm. When we first started working on Hive Mind, we were all in different spaces creatively and musically. So all the, the instrumentals that were being may just didn't sound like us you know what i mean mm -hmm. um it, it, for, for me at least it didn't sound like something that i would want to put on the next album so i was like let's just keep making stuff you know like no pressure like and that's i think that's part of it too is there was a little bit of pressure at that point like okay we're done touring for a while so i guess it's time to do a new album like <laughs> All right, let's make a new album then. And it's not its not always that easy to just say, all right, let's make an album. I suspect it's something sort of akin to sitting down in front of a computer and being like, all right, I'm going to write a book. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, you can't, you're not just going to sit there and write a whole book like mm -hmm. on the spot. You have to be inspired. You have to go through drafts and whatnot. And so our first few drafts just weren't making the cut. And for me, what, what I felt like it was, like Matt was really in a, a certain zone and Steve was in a certain zone. And Chris, Patrick, they were, me too, especially, I was in a certain zone and, and none of our zones individually sounded like the internet. Just for context, your 2015 album, Ego Death, massively well-reviewed. Oh. 
got a Grammy nomination for Best Urban Contemporary Album. Yay. And <laughs> and then uh, each of the now five-piece outfit mm-hmm. uh, went off to make their own solo projects. Patrick Page, the bassist, uh, drummer Christopher Smith, guitarist Steve Lacey and Steve Lacey's demo. And you also put out Fine. Um, <laughs> you're laughing because I pronounced it yeah. the first one. <laughs> That's the first time. That's the first. I haven't heard it pronounced so exquisitely. Um, would you say it's more like thinking about it as, thinking about it in the context of like individualized training, so to speak? Uh, that's what it turned into. Yeah. You know, we knew that we would make another group album after all of that was over. And um, so it was just kind of an interim Thing for us to just it was more so for us to get certain ideas out of our system that wouldn't have fit on the internet album mm-hmm. you know what I mean rather than compromise the sound that we have as a group and rather than you know me being mad because because I want to do something that's super R&B or mm-hmm. I want to do put a trap beat somewhere and, and it just wouldn't work you know what I mean it right. wouldn't make sense yeah what would you say you got you improved most on like in what category over that album? Uh, writing. Yeah. Maybe just writing. Because for me, uh, in the process of making that album, I was really just practicing. I wrote a lot of those songs without the intention of making a solo album. I was just trying to practice writing. Because really, I, I would love to write for other artists, write and produce for other artists. Mm. So that for me was an opportunity to showcase my songwriting abilities outside of what I've done with my group and the sound that I've become known for thus far, mm-hmm. wanted to kind of show a little bit of versatility. And also just, I was really into like Bryson Tiller at the time. Huh. So I wanted to do like stuff with like some 808s in it. You ain't gotta do too much. It's written all over your face. Maybe we can keep in touch. This is useless, no need to make excuses We both know what the truth is love I guess the output that you have and the band has is just this kind of creates this feeling that you're always making something and mm-hmm. which is like kind of how the I, I want to say the air of ease of collaboration comes across in all the stuff that you put out Word. Are you Would you describe yourself as one of those people that enjoys the creative process and mourns the part when it's over or is it the other way around? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think I enjoy both parts. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I'm trying to enjoy time off. It's it's difficult because, you know, you drop music and then people hear it and they want to work, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to take a break and I want to work with a, a lot of these people, but just... I'm just tired. (laughs) So I'm trying to like prioritize and and figure out um, how I can work with everybody that I really want to work with um, without forcing it and without running running out of steam. To put a little pressure on that people I want to work with thing. (laughs) Like what would be an example? Like who do you, who are you thinking about? Um, well, 
specifically, I was, I guess I was talking about the people who have been, who I've been talking to about working. Um, Like Uzi hit me up saying he wanted to do a whole project. Uh, um, I just sat up like really upright. (laughs) I know. Very unexpected for me. Um, Me and Kehlani have been talking for a long time about doing music, Mm -hmm. working with Disclosure. So yeah, just a lot of stuff that I really want to do. It's mm-hmm. just been hard like to find the time. And right now my studio's under construction, so mm. it's really <laughs> tough. <laughs> like I don't like renting studio time cuz I have so much equipment that I've paid for. And mm-hmm. I don't want to pay for a studio yeah, time when I much paid just like, for the equipment. We already. got food at home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I got groceries, but I yeah, I can't cook. I guess. <laughs> uh, on the flip side of that, saying that like you have had difficulty being able to relax, so so to speak. Mm-hmm. What did you last do on the last day that you didn't have to do anything? Like you woke up, there were no recording sessions, no interviews to go to, no <laughs> videos to shoot. I don't think I've had one of those days. Oh, actually... Yes, I went to New York <laughs> a couple weekends ago, and I just ducked off. I just ducked off. I didn't see anybody. How does something as intimate as the internet come out of something as rowdy and raucous as Odd Future? <laughs> you started as an engineer, and you were the DJ. Yeah, yeah. Through that, uh, I was given a record deal and a publishing deal mm-hmm. when Matt and I, Matt moved to Los Angeles 2011, and me and him just just got really close. We just started kicking it. I would drive him everywhere, and I was always at his apartment hanging mm-hmm. out. He was putting me onto all this new music, and we spent like a couple months just kicking it. And then our manager at the time, Clancy, who managed like the rest of our future, mm-hmm was um, randomly like, yo, have you guys made any music together? And we were like, no, <laughs> that's crazy, actually. He's like, okay, just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> just putting it out there. Right. You- so eventually um, Clancy suggested that, you know, maybe this should be the first album that comes out on Odd Future Records. I think it will surprise everyone. <laughs> It'll come out of nowhere and you have a record deal. So why not? That's that's what happened. We 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 dropped the first album on Our Future Records, and mm. Our Future fans didn't like it, <laughs> but it's understandable. It, it, it was, wasn't for them. Yeah, it was quite a departure from everything else they'd heard up to that point. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know. I know that touring with Our Future was uh, was really great experience for me, but it was also very strenuous on me mentally and emotionally. And um, it only had a little bit to do with them, more so to do with me. I was really depressed at the time. I was in a bad mental state. Being out there with them didn't help. As soon as as soon as soon we got some show offers as the internet, I was like, look, y'all, I, I don't want to DJ anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you met Matt Martians over MySpace, right? Yeah. So I met Matt actually before I became a member of Our Future. I found out about Our Future on MySpace anyway. That's where it kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, Did he have an autoplay song? 
<laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> That's crazy though. But I found him on Tyler's top eight. Mm, okay. Oh, <laughs> 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 I was a fan of Odd Future. Just the the production was just so left, and and, and being an NERD fan, like and an Neptune's fan, I, I just really could respect the one the influence, the obvious influence that the Neptunes had on on Tyler and on Left Brain and whatnot, but also. Just the the visual creativity too. Like Tyler used to have f- albums and albums of photos on MySpace. Just edits. Like he would just take photos and on a lawn with like a fucking kiddie pool, and <laughs> and he would just fuck the hue all the way up. You know what I mean? Like next. Oh, yeah, so the, the sky is purple and the is, grass is everything is blue. extremely saturated. Exactly. Yeah. So and I thought that was just cool. Like it wasn't it wasn't too many kids doing that just for fun. You know what I mean? And and so I just used to go through and look through all his photos and be inspired and listen to his beats and, and whatnot. And yeah, found found the Super Three on um his top eight and I really resonated with the Super 3 because the music was so busy, mm-hmm. but it, for, it's, it, to me, it made sense. You know what I mean? So I, I remember sending him a message because Matt is the Super 3. I remember sending him a message like, yo, like, I really like your beats. Like, the Super 3, come to find out, was just Matt. But... Uh, all the images of them it was three people Mm -hmm. so everybody thought that it was three members of the group kind of like how everybody thinks the The gorillas exactly yeah it was exactly like (laughs) that really it's just damon albarn yeah Yeah. it was just matt martian so me i'm hitting him up like yo like i want to i wish i had like a production partner like you like i you know my beats are cool but like i need help he was like you don't need a production partner then you'd have to split the money i was like damn (laughs) 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 all right well he was like he was like just keep just keep working just keep working on it you'll be fine i was like okay I started putting a studio together and selling studio time, advertising my studio on MySpace. And uh, Haji ended up coming through. Haji Beats. Haji Beats mm-hmm. ended up coming through and recording some songs. Then I think he went and told Tyler that he had found a new studio. So the next thing you know, Tyler ended up coming through with Damo and Left Brain and everybody else. And yeah, I just started engineering for them for free because I was a fan. What was the first song that you wrote? Ever? Ever. It's called Flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> it's on it's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> I dropped it when I was like 16. produced it and I wrote it. It was it was one of it was one of those moments where the song kind of just wrote itself. Mm. Like I made this beat, fell in love with it. I was in bed one night just listening to the beat and these lyrics just like popped in my head. I recorded it in the morning. 
I called I called my best friend Justin <laughs> after I recorded it. Was like, yo, come through. Like, I just wrote a song, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded it. He was like, okay, I'm on my way. So he came through. I let him hear it. Well, like, I took a shower. I was like, here, just listen while I'm in the shower. I don't want to be here when you listen <laughs> yeah, to I it. See your face. <laughs> while you listen to the song. <laughs> I got out the shower. He was like, yo, this is fire, dog. I was like, oh my god, don't gas me. And <laughs> I put it on MySpace, man. And it's like, damn, tight. So I'm going to just do it seems like kind <laughs> of your complete ethos for the last year or so. Man, for my whole life, probably. With engineering, with DJing, because I wasn't a DJ till two months before my first tour. Mm-hmm. Taught myself how to DJ because um, Tyler didn't trust anybody. Didn't want to go find a DJ. I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll teach myself how to DJ. Um, actually, someone suggested it to me. There was um, this guy, he was trying to manage us back in the day. He was trying to manage our future. And he took us to an MIA concert. Um, this is back when like Tyler had a deal with, or before he had a deal with XL Recordings mm-hmm. for his first album. Mm-hmm. And MIA was on is was on XL recordings and so they took us to MIA concert and her DJ is a girl and I remember watching it and being like damn she she's tight <laughs> and um this the guy James he was like yo have you ever thought about DJing for for the guys like that would be tight like a bunch of dudes but like with a girl DJ and I was like damn that would be tight Okay, yeah, I'll try it. I'll teach. I'll, I'll learn. You know. So I just, I got um, like a little DJ controller for Christmas mm. <laughs> that that year, and um, just started messing with it. Just started practicing. Right. Also, you kind of got a little more than you bargained for, as we've kind of already been over in, in terms <laughs> yeah. of uh, DJing. You had to answer for a lot of things during uh, that period yeah. of time. Yeah, I did. I think probably my favorite quote of yours from like <laughs> this past album cycle was, if you ranked out Future, I was at the very bottom. I didn't think anybody was paying attention. It's hilarious. I went through all of these interviews and everybody was gay the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Believe it or not, ADA radar type uh, homophobia <laughs> is what they were. What they were, you were dealing with in the early Odd Future years, mm-hmm. um, to the point where you were talking to the Guardian about how you were almost beginning to resent being like so in public about all this stuff. Like you were hurt by the backlash. Yeah, I just felt like like why do I have to answer for them? You know, I felt right. like I was. I felt like a get out of jail free card almost. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're not homophobic. Sid's with us, which you know was my answer as well. And it's true, like they they're not homophobic. They weren't homophobic. I, I understood the language. I understood why it was being used, and I also understood why people didn't like it. Mm-hmm. At some point, I realized nobody was asking Tyler why why he was using it mm-hmm. they were they were asking me first how how i could be okay with being a part of a group like that and i you know eventually it got to to the point where i stopped doing interviews about it i i, I told everybody i told pr don't let them ask me any gay questions anymore so it wasn't necessarily that i was i was resenting being public 
I'm not going to switch up <laughs> for nobody, but I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Mm. Like I, people don't have, straight people don't have to talk about being straight. It's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, then also it's just kind of like it, even, especially in your music, it's just something that just is very matter of fact. Like it just so happens that you're talking to a girl. Yeah, yeah. As an engineer, actually, I engineered for um, one or two gay artists who, in their music were straight mm. and was always interesting to me. I remember asking one of the artists that I was working with, like when I realized that she was gay, cause like I, I, I always thought she was gay. She was like me <laughs> in real life, but would, she was a rapper and she would get in the booth and start rapping nasty about dudes. And I just always found it interesting. <laughs> I remember one day asking her like, are you gay? Or, and she was like, yeah, I was like, so, so why do you, why do you um, rap about dudes? She was like, well, you know, I guess I just want music that my homegirls can relate to. And I, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. But when it came down to me mm -hmm. recording, writing, singing, or at least putting out music as myself, I my conscience just won't let me sing to a dude I don't date dudes so it's like I'm not I can write a song for a chick mm -hmm. for sure like I've done that and, and I enjoy doing that but um, I'm not about to be out here singing to dudes that's just not it's not authentic I don't like to dudes you. like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's not authentic like never say never you never know but like right now no I don't I don't date men what are you most into musically at the moment since are you still listening to trap soul or is this <laughs> <laughs> um i i gave it a break actually i i did bump it like a couple weeks ago i went back and listened to it like front to back and was like god damn it this is fire <laughs> um yeah i just got young thugs album i was listening to it with my dad last night to on the way to and from in and out burger <laughs> my dad was like who's this? <laughs> he's Jamaican. He don't know. <laughs> he's not up on, on, on it much, but he, my dad actually loves the new Travis Scott album as well, which is interesting because my dad's an EDM fan. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Are you thinking about maybe exploring some of that on your next work? EDM? Yeah. I mean, no. not EDM. I mean like, but. My next solo album, I'm going to produce myself. So there's no telling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What it'll sound like. I have a couple really cool sounding, like electronic y kind of tracks on there. For the most part, though, everything else you can't really put into a box. Well, I love to hear that. It's going to be fire. Sid, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. Okay, y'all, quick break while we talk about one of our sponsors, Miller Lite. Look, it's summer. It's really hot outside. You know, nobody wants to be drinking a heavy-ass IPA. Maybe you want to be drinking Miller Lite, which only has 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's not really a whole lot more to talk about. If you have a real argument against Miller Lite, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. Quick break while we talk about another one of our sponsors, Sonos. 
Let's specifically talk about the Sonos Beam, a compact soundbar for your TV and the newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. I actually have one of these. Honestly, I just got one of these in my apartment and is, I don't want to say that it's the best thing that I own, but it definitely does fill the space with sound. Like the other night I was watching the finale for Sharp Objects and I felt as though I was in Missouri. So the Beam lets you play everything you love from music and radio to movies, TV, like I said, podcasts like this one. Even use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam. All rich with sound that fills the room. Enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. All it takes is one cord to connect the Beam to your TV. Just one. And it syncs with your existing remote. Or get hands-free control with Alexa, which is built in. The Sonos app walks you through the setup step-by-step. It's super easy, but... If you don't want to bother setting up your speakers, Sonos will send someone to do it for you. I had somebody come and do it for me. His name was Jeremy. He was very nice to me. We talked about the weather and music like I tend to do when I don't have anything else to talk about. That's right. If you live in a major metropolitan area, Up and Running will have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. So... What are you waiting for? Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify. Let's get back to the show. Here to teach me about playlisting and music that came out before the 2000s and, you know, like how Quavo should manage his money is my boss's boss's boss, Bill Simmons. That sounded relatively condescending. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I want to point out to your listeners, when I was your age, we only had like two decades of music to work from. Two, two, it, it, we I just we went from like 1968 to 1980. Can you clock how long it took you to say when I was your age? I had to get it out of the way. You have like 50 years of music to comb through now. I'm, I just <laughs> hope everybody out there realizes how great that is. I had like, we had to talk ourselves into bad company in these terrible 70s rock bands because we didn't have any other CDs. Are you jealous that I get to discover things for the first time? Yeah. Mm. When, I was, when I was your age, <laughs> a lot tougher to find music. Well, boss. Uh, We should talk about these makeshift Sirius XM channels you've been making. The most recent one is Post Lithium. Yes. Please explain it to me. What is, okay, so Post Lithium as in. So so there's a couple things going on here. One is that Yacht Rock is a ridiculous idea for a channel Mm -hmm. that actually became a channel that people love every summer. And I actually feel like (laughs) it's kind of a thing. And the reason it's a thing is it's like this specific era. It's a hard to explain area. You don't know what it is. Somebody coined it Yacht Rock and it became a thing. It's, it's not really much different from 70s soft rock, but the, the keys are like Michael McDonald has to be in a lot of the songs. Mm-hmm. Kenny Loggins has to feel like you could play it on a yacht. It's got a distinct kind of 1978 to 1984 kind of time frame. And this is usually what works with serious channels. Mm-hmm. It's like Lithium. It's basically the grunge music I was listening to at the tail end of college and then out of college. Lithium as in like... Lithium is a serious channel. Okay. Basically the Nirvana era. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy because today found my friends. They have New Wave, which is the music that me and my friends were listening to from like 82 to 86, basically, which is like New Order, Depeche Mode, all those bands. Okay. They have like their classic rock channel. What's weird is that everything stops once we get to the 21st century. And all of a sudden, there's no eras anymore. 
And there was a distinct era from 01 to 05 that I was living in Boston for the first year, the strokes and the white stripes. And mm-hmm. um, and then music got really good for about five years. The music I liked, like that alternative indie, like that whole side, uh-huh. had this huge renaissance. And I think it had the renaissance because it was almost like the children of the people that grew up listening to everything from like the late 80s all the way through maybe like 95, 96. Uh-huh. And that stuff bled in. So if you're like 13 and you love, I don't know, Pearl Jam, but you also like some of this other weird, like you like Radiohead and you like all these other things. Now, nine years later, you're in a band. All these different pieces are going to go into whatever you became. And that's what this era was. So I call it post-lithium. It probably needs a better name, but 0105, like, really, really, really good music and it's like a mix between alternative but it's a little bit techno. And Why would you think, that, why do you think that it's that after that particular period in time that yeah. there were no longer No, eras. it kept going. I mean, well, you I s- have two more playlists going. No, but I mean, I'm talking about like why, like your, oh, what your main, gra- yeah, exactly, where you're talking about there, there weren't any quote unquote eras or commonly accepted ones. Alternative music hit a dip in the 96 to like 2000 range. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure what happened, but it just got, it turned into, um, I, it just became ripoffs of the stuff that had worked combined with, I don't know, it just hit a rut, mm. which happens from time to time. When I was in college, the first couple of years in college, like music was just bad, 88, 89. I don't know why. There was some, some like bands like REM and things like that, but uh-huh. like the alternative indie stuff, you go back, you're like, wow, I, I I thought Midnight Oil was good in 1988. What was I thinking? There was a lot of those <laughs> moments. But then you go from 91 to 95, not just with the alternative indie stuff, but also like what was going on in hip hop. And that's like the greatest four-year stretch we've had in the last 30 years. Okay. But then it dips. I might I might pick some bones with that. What do you think was the best four-year stretch we've had? I am wary of of calling anything the best four-year stretch of anything. You had two two incredible eras in two completely different music genres that went to a whole other level from where they were. And it oh, yeah. I mean, like it's definitely there was definitely something that felt apocal about the music that was coming out at that period of time. It's just it has nothing to do with whether or not it is an arguable point that it's the best four years of Music. I think it's one of the most influential yeah. ever. Yeah, I will. You're gonna ride. You're young, so you're gonna ride for the music that's more current because you're like that's your generation. That's yeah, your, exactly. I think it's just it's mainly just you think that the music that came out when you first started having sex is the best music that you will ever hear in your life. <laughs> I don't know if it was the best. I think it was the most influential. Okay. I think you're basically creating these two different industries. But now you think about the last six years, this is like the one-off generation, right? And like dropping albums with no no hint that it was even coming. <laughs> and um, being able to tinker with a song after the fact and re-release them. This is like its own generation. It's almost like the social media music generation, mm-hmm. which I think has been really interesting. Most definitely. Now, so wait, let's go through your post-Lithium playlist. Okay. Um, one, is Soma your favorite record off of Is This It? See, here's the thing. This is what your generation doesn't understand with playlists. Oh, wow. All right. Let me, let me, hold up. Let me, let me just make sure that I'm sitting. Come, come, for, let come me, sit at my knee, nephew. Let me tell you about what wow, music really does. Wow. Wow. To me, a playlist. So when I was growing up and when I was in high school and college and then after, we had mixtapes. 
it was it was pre playlist. You you cut all these different songs on a tape. Oh yeah, I read about that in the book yeah. once. Yeah, it feels like it was seven million years ago. <laughs> but part of the art of the mixtape was it had to flow a certain way and it had to all the songs had to connect and there it was almost like you were putting together a book of different chapters. The first song isn't the best song. No, it's the mood you're trying to create and it's what leads to the next song and how that leads to the next song. And there was like a real art to it. Now people just throw together a playlist. All right. Notice how I didn't ask yeah. whether or anything about playlisting. I was talking about this specific song, Soma. But you made it seem like that was like, I thought that was the best song of that era. I do not think that. I mean, you know, I could, that's a, that's a conclusion that I could jump to if it's the first song on the playlist and you are talking about the best music from this period. It's a really good stroke song. It is a really good stroke song. That got lost in the shuffle because people always mention the other two stroke songs when they mention that, that Strokes album. <laughs> the and other. Soma was the one that was kind of the underrated one on the three. So that's yeah. why I led with that one. Underrated. The other two are on the playlist. You're talking about that last night and... Um, Someday. Someday, yeah. yeah. Those are the two. But then the Louis Fourteenth song that's next was like one of the most underrated songs of that whole five-year stretch. I have no idea what happened to those guys. I don't it's even the only know who song those I've ever downloaded. I, like, I that don't know song who that is, is fucking awesome. Finding out the true love is blind. Okay. That song is great. <laughs> So here's the other thing with this playlist. Mm -hmm. In the wrong hands, fortunately I was in the right hands. I have three decades of experience. <laughs> you'd also mix in all these, like the, the kind of slow Garden State type songs. Uh -huh. And you'd have like a different, the acoustic, put in some cold play. I didn't do that. For the for this is like, these are all songs that were like, had some, had some sort of beat to them mixed with rock. Had some sort of drive. Had some sort of oomph to them. Yeah. And I just think this era was really great. Now, if you go to like the one I'm working on, 06 to 09, the vibe's a little different. It gets a little more techno. You have the stuff like the broken bells and, thing, and things like that, that it just gets a little weirder. Mm. Um, and that stage, MGMT comes out and they have like two of the best songs of that whole decade, in my opinion. I love those two songs. Mm. Um, and then around 2010, people start ripping off the stuff that already worked and then you have three years left and then it kind of dies. Okay, so my only real bone that I'm picking with well, this pick playlist... It. Pick that bone. I'm trying to figure out how's there only one Block Party song on here? There should have been two. The one that's on there got for the listeners is Helicopter, which is the second record off of Silent Alarm, which I just sometimes... I'd listen to that album probably once a week. I don't know. It was just a really exciting time because I was really convinced by the end of the last century that that alternative had just gone every direction it was going to go and it was just going to suck from that point on. And and hip-hop and rap was becoming way more interesting. And then alternative kind of had this comeback. Well, I mean, like that, it, you are kind of sharing the same view that David Bowie had. You should listen to that 1993 Today Show interview where he was just like, hip-hop is going to be the most interesting like form of art in like the next 20 years. So that 1993. I think what's really changed this century the most has been the concept of bands mm -hmm. and just what happens to them and where do they go and will we have bands anymore, basically. Where the individual artist has just destroyed bands, basically. And individual artists, the way social media goes, 
just everything fits toward somebody like Drake, who's on the biggest run we've probably ever seen since, at least in the hip hop rap era. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bigger run than Michael Jackson or anything like that, but um, just the number of years that he's just been really wildly successful now is starting to add up. I don't think a band has been... like Look at the Killers. Like in 04, if you were buying stock mm-hmm. and that album comes out, you'd be like, wow, these guys, they're, this is going to... This would be a 20-year run, mm-hmm. right? This would be, they could be this generation's U2 if they play. <laughs> and that was it. Their first album was their best album. And they've had other stuff. They tore really well, but they were never able to sustain it. And I think Kings of Leon was another one mm-hmm. where you would have been like, these guys, they're going to be around. Now, the lead singer had issues. But, um, but in general, like, who are the bands from this decade? Who are, like, the fucking monsters? Who's the REM of this generation? Like, yeah. it just... It's really strange. It's all moved toward individual acts. Yeah, I think after a certain level of popularity, band dynamics kind of creak under pressure, which, I mean, isn't universally true. I mean, like, I can think of at least one example. The other person that is on this podcast, Sid, the the internet, they made their best album, and then they all split up to do solo projects and then came back and made their next best album. (laughs) Well, look at Migos. Quavo's got a new album coming out, right? In like mm-hmm. October. It's going to be a monster. If I'm if I'm buying stock in albums, I'm buying You're stock buying in that album being in, a monster. So you really like Lamb Talk? There will be no Migos after <laughs> that album comes out. What are the odds of Migos existing in a year? I'm not ready to split them up yet. I, I mean, like you know as who's in, ready to split up? Quavo's accountant. <laughs> <laughs> he, he took Quavo to dinner. He's like, look, here's $100. Here are your two choices. You could either have the entire $100 or $33. What makes more sense? Craig was like, $100. And he's like, yeah, exactly. That's why you need to leave Migos. <laughs> Start your own band. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the Quavo solo album is coming a little late. Like, I'm not excited for a Quavo solo album the same way I was in like 2015, maybe, or 2014. I'm more fascinated by your logistics for a playlist. You feel like the best song should be the first song? No, I didn't say that. I feel like it's a leadoff hitter. I'm not. I just wanted to get on base. I set the absolutely, tone. Make I, the pitcher think about what he's doing. I subscribe, I subscribe to creating a vibe in your playlist as well. I, think, I don't think that you lead with the absolute best song. I definitely feel like you lead with the tone setting song. The thing I don't like about when people do playlists is they just, they make it like an all-star team. And I don't think it... Any playlist, I feel like, has to have some sort of vibe where it's like you're listening to this whole thing from start to finish and it's got to collectively make sense together, which is why, like, the Yacht Rock one, Yacht Rock one I spent a lot of time on. I think that the ideal, the ideal playlist you can listen to straight through, but you can also shuffle it and it doesn't change the vibe at all. 100%. Like, with Yacht Rock, there's songs people put in Yacht Rock stuff that drives me nuts. <laughs> So it's like 70s rock. It's just, you know, when it's not a Yacht Rock song. The other one I made was more of a, I did the 37 California songs. Mm-hmm. Those were just the 37 songs that felt like California was important for why the song resonated in some way. That was probably my most flawed idea of the three. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain songs, like when you're driving around LA, like if you're on the PCH and Malibu randomly came on and you're on, actually on the PCH in Malibu, it feels like a song that should be playing when you're on the PCH. <laughs> And L.A. has all these different parts like that, right? Where the song kind of matches where you are. Yeah. Which makes it unique. Yeah. Do you know what the greatest Yacht Rock song of all time is? What is the best Yacht Rock song of all time? I'll bite. Bobby Caldwell. 
Yo, what you want to do for love? Yeah. That song is like really one of the best songs of all time. It might be like in the top eight. It's really, it's so good. It really is so good. I found out he was white like two years ago, and I almost <laughs> needed to like lie down. I was so stunned. Man, it was I, one of the most shocking. Wait, that guy was white. I, I think no idea. that it's also funny that every couple of years or so, people will discover that Bobby Caldwell is white, and so is Tina Marie, and so was John B, and like yeah. all this other stuff. And it's just kind of like. It's fun to see that cycle go around every couple of years. It's the most shocking music revelation we have. The Robert Palmer song is really good too. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, Michael McDonald. But that stuff, like that stuff's been sampled a lot over the years. A lot of those Yacht Rock songs have been in hooks for hip hop and rap since like basically the early 90s. Most famously, Regulate. Oh, yeah. Who's your artist of the year, Micah? Well, putting me on the... With four months left. Who's the favorite? I've, I don't know who the artist of the year is at this exact well, moment. Well, who's the favorite? The favorite? Gotta be Drake. <laughs> so, why are you so, why can't you give Drake his props? I'm not, I'm not like saying LeBron. that I can't give Drake Drake's his props. Drake's LeBron. Drake has MVP and titles and money. Drake is LeBron. And Drake's that LeBron. Drake is, a, Drake is LeBron in that you take his output for granted and he's been around and doing and not really trying until April for so long that you get that you take him for granted in MVP conversations. That's so yes, I absolutely take child your point. actor like LeBron has <laughs> <laughs> um, picked apart his whole career. His rock bottoms were really not that bad. It's just like we're so used to not seeing him fail. It seemed like a huge deal whenever anything went wrong. And continues to crank it. He's LeBron. Nobody wants to admit it. I've, I feel like people admit it fairly regularly. Nah, I think it's like be, to it's, bitch about Drake. It's begrudging, absolutely. That's because the thing. Why is it begrudging though? The guy's fucking great. Why does everybody have a problem with it? He's every, really good at stuff. He is really good at why, stuff. Why? Why? Why are people begrudging about it? Listen, Some I'm just saying good. that like my Drake cynicism is at an all time low. Post in my feelings video. So I don't know why you're coming at me sideways about I'm this. Not, I'm coming at your audience. <laughs> <laughs> and also you, because you just won't admit he's the artist of the year. He's clearly the artist of the year. Would Scorpion we, was a monster. Scorpion. He is by far the most streamed musician we have. It's not even close. Yeah, but I mean, like, what is the... I, I, what I, other metric do we need? He puts out no, good music I mean, and like, people not, listen to it. It doesn't need to be necessarily a different quantifiable metric, but I am bored of the idea that results equals like the best product that's out there. But it's good. It's a good product too. I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I think that the album though was entirely too long and well, that's, uninspired. But that's every album. Uh, my kid's favorite song of the summer is In My Feelings. Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Nephew Kyle. I have to go. <clears throat> this was fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you I'm for available. coming on. Appreciate it. That's all we got. 
Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Sid. Also thanks to the boss, Bill Simmons. Shout out my producer, Zach Mack. Don't forget to check out our playlist that we will be updating every week with the songs we're listening to. A link to that is in the description as well as a link to all the playlists Bill and I discussed. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show, but only if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you play everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more, all with rich sound that fills the room. It's super simple to set up, but if you don't want to bother, Sonos will send someone to do it for you. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, up and running will have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. I actually had somebody come and set up mine. His name was Jeremy, and he was super nice to me and very helpful and knowledgeable about everything. So, get like me. Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify.